welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 53, Enzyme of Peace. I gravitated toward today's topic because I think that peace is something that we so desperately need right now in our personal lives, in our community lives, and in just the world in general. I know that my mind has been caught up in a little bit of just sadness hearing about the things that are going on in the world kept coming back to the idea that the Lord's law is love and the gospel is peace, that there is peace in Christ. So that's eventually what we're going to circle around today. We've been talking for a few weeks about the saints in Jackson County, Missouri. As we know, there were mob attacks, they were expelled from their land, and most of them at this point have gathered in Clay County, Missouri. The saints in Ohio, it took them a little while to hear about this, and once they did, they were so heartbroken that that would happen to their fellow members and their brothers and sisters. We are going to mostly focus on sections 103 and 105. Section 103 directs Joseph to gather together a group of people to go down and escort the Clay County saints back to their land and independence. In verse 22 of section 103, it says, Therefore let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men and the middle-aged, gather yourself together unto the land of Zion, upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. And let all the churches send up wise men with their monies, and purchase lands even as I have commanded them. And inasmuch as mine enemies come against you to drive you from my goodly land, which I have consecrated to be the land of Zion, even from your own lands, after these testimonies, which ye have brought before me against them, ye shall curse them. Okay, so the Lord is telling them there that they need to go down and reclaim their land that they have purchased, and he is also telling them that they can be successful. But he starts out section 103 before those verses. He says, But verily I say unto you that I have decreed with a decree which my people shall realize, inasmuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord God, shall give unto them. But inasmuch as they keep not my commandments and hearken not to observe all of my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. All right, so in section 103, we have the Lord giving an order to go down and reclaim the lands of Zion. And then we also have those significant warnings, even more than I just read, that the realization of those blessings in obtaining the land of Zion is predicated upon their obedience to the commandments. Now, there were a few that were called specifically to go, but for the most part, it was just volunteers. It was approximately 200 men plus 25 women and children, and the official name of it was Zion's Camp. It was a rough journey with limited food and water and really hot weather. And as they were getting close to their destination, they learned that the governor was not going to support them like they thought that he was. And they also learned that some local militia had risen up in response to the, quote, Mormon army that was headed their direction. So the saints, understandably, were feeling more uneasy about the challenges that were going to be ahead of them. And as they're, they're getting close to their destination, Joseph received this revelation in section 105. Verse 1. Verily I say unto you, who have assembled yourselves together, that ye may learn my will concerning the redemption of my afflicted people. Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people, speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. So the Lord is saying, if it weren't for transgression and sin, which the Lord warned them about in section 103, Zion might have been redeemed, as he says, even now. 
Continuing in verse 3, But behold, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands, but are full of all manner of evil, and do not impart of their substance, and becometh saints to the poor and the afflicted among them, and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. So basically, the saints, I guess not surprisingly, are not living the law of the of the celestial kingdom. So therefore, he continues that he says, Otherwise I cannot receive her unto myself. So Zion is not ready to be created yet. Continuing in verse 6, And my people must needs be chastened until they learn obedience, if it must needs be by the things which they suffer. So the Lord needs them to still learn some lessons. He, they need to be refined, and we're still being refined today. We still need to learn more and need to be able to more perfectly live the law of the celestial kingdom. Verse 7, I speak not concerning those who are appointed to lead my people, who are the first elders of my church, for they are not all under this condemnation. But I speak concerning my churches abroad. There are many who will say, Where is their God? Behold, he will deliver them in the time of trouble. Otherwise, we will not go up into Zion and we will keep our monies. So there were people in the church who were watching this expedition and they were waiting to see if the Lord held up what they perceived to be his end of the bargain and won this battle for them and reclaimed their land. And they were waiting and watching and saying, we're going to keep our money and not go to Zion unless we see that this is successful. And the Lord definitely did not approve of that. Verse 9, Therefore, in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. So I always like to zoom in on, um, in my mind on the phrases, little season, anytime the Lord is talking about time, he, we don't really quite know what he means by that. And especially considering the amount of time of, of eternity, even the last couple hundred years of the church, of the church's existence, it's still a little season. Verse 10, that they themselves may be prepared and that my people may be taught more perfectly and have experience and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. So I loved that verse because I thought about what have we been doing since this time, since the time of the saints, from then all the way till now. We have been continuing to be prepared. We have been taught more perfectly and had more experience and know more perfectly concerning our duties. We have technology and the ability to learn from our leaders extensively and to study extensively. We have incredible access in the palm of our hands of all of the information that we could possibly need to be able to become a Zion people, to be taught more perfectly, to have more experience, to know more perfectly our duties. That is what we've been doing this whole time, being more prepared to be a Zion people. All right, so what do we learn overall in all those scriptures? Before Zion can be redeemed, the inhabitants must be ready to live by the laws of the celestial kingdom. In short, the church then just wasn't ready. And hopefully now we're getting closer and closer. In these sections, Moses and the Israelites are mentioned a few times. Moses led the Israelites to freedom through incredible obstacles that we've we've all heard of. Clearly, the Lord was on their side. He sent plagues. He parted the Red Sea. And yet, when they were gathered to Mount Sinai, ready to be led to the promised land, they then were required to wander for 40 years, going through incredible hardships. Now, just side note, often 
40 years doesn't necessarily mean exactly 40 years. And I'm not really qualified to tell you what that would really mean. But I do know that that's just kind of an expression to represent a long time. Did this mean that the Lord wasn't with them because they had to wander for a long time in the wilderness? No, they needed to be refined and their faith needed to be tried because they were not ready to be what the Lord required in order to lead them to the promised land. Throughout the scriptures, in the temple, in our patriarchal blessings, the Lord promises us blessings predicated upon our righteousness. And often I think a lot of people think of blessings that the Lord has promised that they have not had realized yet. And those blessings predicated upon their righteousness will happen. And the same applies to the saints, to us. Zion will be redeemed. Christ will reign on the earth. All of those things will happen because all of his promises will be fulfilled. Section 105, verse 37. And inasmuch as they follow the counsel which they receive, they shall have power after many days to accomplish all things pertaining to Zion. So what was the purpose of sending the saints down there when the Lord knew ahead of time that they weren't going to qualify to redeem Zion at that time? In section 105, verse 19, it says, I have heard their prayers and I will accept their offering. And it is expedient in me that they should be brought thus far for a trial of their faith. I want to share Wilford Woodruff's experience in Zion's camp. He says, I was in Zion's camp with the prophet of God. I saw the dealings of God with him. I saw the power of God with him. I saw that he was a prophet. What was manifest to him by the power of God upon that mission was of great value to me and to all who received his instructions. When the members of Zion's camp were called, many of us had never beheld each other's faces. We were strangers to each other, and many of us had never seen the prophet. We had been scattered abroad like corn sifted in a sieve throughout the nation. We were young men. We were called upon in that early day to go up and redeem Zion. And what we had to do, we had to do by faith. We assembled together from the various states at Kirtland and went up to redeem Zion in fulfillment of the commandment of God unto us. God accepted our works as he did the works of Abraham. We accomplished a great deal, though apostates and unbelievers at many times asked, What have you done? We gained an experience that we could never have gained in any other way. We had the privilege of beholding the face of the prophet. We had the privilege of traveling a thousand miles with him and seeing the works of the Spirit of God with him and the revelations of Jesus Christ unto him and the fulfillment of those revelations. And he gathered some 200 elders from throughout the nation in that early day and sent us to broadcast into the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Had I not gone up with Zion's camp, I should not have been here today. By going there, we were thrust into the vineyard to preach the gospel, and the Lord accepted our labors, and in all our labors and persecutions, with our lives often at stake, we have had to work and live by faith. The experience we obtained in traveling in Zion's camp was of more worth than gold. Isn't that how it works in our lives even right now? He accepts our offerings. He refines us. He strengthens us with rich experiences and trials of faith, but doesn't always reward us with the ultimate reward yet, with, with rewards and blessings that are still in the future. We don't just get them all. And why is that? It's because even though we're trying, even though we're hopefully showing faith and moving forward and doing our best, we just aren't ready for that yet. The church as a whole isn't ready for it yet. And so we don't get to have everything right now. And the saints at this time 
also were not ready for that. But as we can hear from Wilfred Woodruff's experience, it wasn't without reward. He was rewarded with what he describes as an experience worth more than gold, an experience that helped direct the rest of his life. And the same goes for the church. That is the entire purpose of separating the chaff from the wheat. The church needs to be refined and purified and strengthened before we as a whole will be ready for Zion. And just to clarify, Zion is both a literal city that will be the capital city, New Jerusalem, that the Lord will reign from, but Zion is also the pure in heart. Zion is anywhere that the pure of heart reside, where the saints of God are. When I think about this specific trip of Zion's camp and think about what the Lord said in verse 19, I have heard their prayers and will accept their offering. Wilford Woodruff made me think of Abraham obeying the commandment to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Abraham, amazingly, was willing to do it because of his faith in the Lord, but he was stopped by an angel at the last moment. Why did the Lord command Abraham to do that in the first place if he wasn't going to have him follow through with it? It was a trial of his faith. Did the Lord plan on allowing Abraham to do that? No. But Abraham's willingness to let God prevail in his heart was something that the Lord deemed necessary. And not just necessary so that the Lord knows that Abraham would go through it, but I think probably necessary to help refine Abraham's heart. There's something sanctifying about obeying a command that we don't fully understand purely because we have faith in the Lord. Now, as we talk about the church needing to go through a refining period I want to talk about a symbol that is used in Revelations 12, and there's a lot of overlapping um, symbolism here, meaning that there's other parables and symbols that also overlap into the symbol, and I don't have time to go into all of that today, but I just really encourage you guys. I kind of took a little bit longer to prepare this episode because I kept getting lost in all of the incredible symbols and allegories and how all of them are interwoven and they work together. It's just so cool. But we're going to just talk about the one in Revelations 12 today. In Revelations 12, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now, just as a side note, there's a constellation in the sky called Virgo, meaning virgin. On certain dates, the sun and the stars are lined up in ways that line up exactly how this is described. The sun is over her left shoulder, the moon is under her feet, and over her head is the constellation Leo, which is a lion, which includes nine stars, and then the planets Mercury, Venus, and Mars. And I just want to remind you that we know that there will be signs in the heavens that are signaling the approaching time of the second coming. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that, so I'm not going to elaborate anymore. Um, But it's just something interesting for you to look up and study. So the woman in the sky, we know that the woman represents the church. And there are possibilities and ideas put out there about what the sun, moon, and stars represent that we are fairly confident about. But I'm not going to go into those because it's not necessarily crucial to what we are talking about. So the woman represents the church. And the child that the woman is giving birth to is the kingdom of God. In other words, Zion. Verse 3 in Revelations 12. And she brought forth a man-child, which means the kingdom of God, a Zion people, who was to rule all nations with an rod of iron, which means the word of God. And her child was caught up unto God and his throne. And there appeared another sign in heaven and behold, a great red dragon, which represents Satan having seven heads 
and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew up the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth, which is referring to the premortal war. And the dragon stood before the woman which was delivered, ready to devour her child after it was born. So the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman, the church, ready to devour the child, which is Zion, after it was born. So after the church was established on the earth the first time, Satan was there ready to destroy the church. In verse 5, it continues, And the woman fled into the wilderness, and this symbolizes the great apostasy, where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score years. After the great apostasy, the only stronghold of Christianity was had among the Gentiles. The Jews never embraced Christ. The Nephites and Lamanites eventually completely forgot Christianity. And the roots of Christianity remained in the Gentile nations, even though it was distorted and didn't have the proper authority from God. And it's through those roots that the prophesied boy Joseph, a Gentile, read the scriptures, knew about Jesus Christ, and therefore had the desire to go out and pray. And from those roots, came the restored church of Jesus Christ. So going back to verse five, and the woman fled into the wilderness. So the great apostasy, and she had a place prepared of God where they should feed her. So she was continually nourished in that time that she was in the wilderness, enough so that the church could still come through that Gentile nation that still held on to Christianity. Now, as we're reading the Doctrine and Covenants, we are seeing the creation of a Zion people. And active creation of the symbolic child that the church is creating, that the woman is creating. And as we see in the scriptures past, and as we see in ourselves, creating a people worthy of living by the Lord's law is a process, not an instant creation. And we're seeing that also through what we talked about here, where the Lord did have the church on the earth through Jesus Christ, and yet it was not maintained. It was it was lost for a while. The Authority was lost and the words of God were distorted. And all of these things happen because of the Lord's plan that includes our agency. So our agency is the reason that he can't instantly make us perfect. He can't instantly make us not sin because that agency is part of creating us in a way that allows us to become like him. We can't become like him without without agency, without choosing that for ourselves. And so this creation of a Zion people is going to take a while, has taken a while, because we are not perfect. And I hope and I feel like we're getting closer to that. And you're, we're definitely seeing a division among those who don't want to live that way, aren't choosing to live that way. And unfortunately, that division is part of the process of becoming a pure and sanctified people. In section 103 at the creation of Zion's camp, It says, By hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord their God, shall speak unto them, they shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet, and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. But inasmuch as they keep not my commandments and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. That promise came with a warning. That if we don't keep the commandments, if the saints then didn't keep the commandments, the kingdoms of the world will prevail. Now, we know eventually, ultimately, that Zion will prevail, that the Lord will prevail, but not until his people are ready. Now, I read a quote recently, and I uh, maybe I should look it up and I'll tell it to you next time. But it um, it was from a prophet, and he was saying that the Lord isn't delaying his coming. 
waiting for us to be ready. The time is already predetermined and only the Lord and Heavenly Father knows when that time is. And he knows it's always been determined. It it doesn't change based on our actions. He has always known when his people will be ready. So that remains our mission. What can we do to better become a Zion people so that when the Lord comes to rule upon the earth, that we get to be a part of that? Because remember, when it happens in our lifetime or not, we will still be very much involved. And that brings me to the end of section 105 where the Lord gives a bunch of instructions and he ends with something that we should all be living by. He says, and again, I say unto you, sue for peace, not only to the people that have smitten you, but also to all people and lift up an ensign of peace and make a proclamation of peace unto the ends of the earth and make proposals for peace unto those who have smitten you according to the voice of the spirit, which is in you and all things shall work together for your good. Therefore be faithful and behold, lo, I am with you even unto the end. Even so, amen. Lift up an ensign of peace. An ensign is a flag or a standard. We are to lift up an ensign of peace. Are we doing that? The Lord said in verse 14 of section 105, For behold, I do not require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I said in a former commandment, even so I will fulfill, I will fight your battles. Isn't it great to hear that we don't need to fight? We don't need to argue with people. All we need to do is lift up an ensign of peace and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The doctrine can stand on its own. It doesn't need you to fight for it. There's no need to be defensive. The people hearing it might not like the doctrine, and there might be some upset feelings on their end. But from our end, there is no need for anything but peace. Like I said at the beginning, his law is love and his gospel is peace. We do not need to do anything but boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, unapologetically, with love. And the Lord will fight any battles that need to be fought. And amazingly, We know the outcome of this war, of this battle that the Lord will fight for us. And Satan knows the outcome. Again, in Revelations 12, it says this, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knows that his time is short, and he is carefully destroying all that he can. We need to be careful to identify the evil that is in some of the lies that are disguised as good. Satan is cunning. There is a reason he is called cunning. There is a reason that evil has many faces. He is coming up with as many ways as possible to deceive us. But if we stay focused, our mission is simple. Love the Lord. Obey his commandments. Repent when you don't and be who he has commanded us to be. Section 103, verses 9-10 through 10. For they were set to be a light unto the world, and to be saviors of men. That is our job. You were set to be a light unto the world, and to help gather his children. And the very best way that we can do that is to hold up an awe-inspiring ensign of peace to each other, 
and by extension to the entire world, as we help the Savior gather all those who will choose to heed His call to follow Him. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.